The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. We're kinky done differently. What women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self, with questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kiki. I'm John, aka Hi There, Catsuit, and welcome to a show about how people connect with each other and to their own authentic selves. Throughout our show, in addition to authors, athletes, actors, and lots of amazing humans, we've not talked to women who are actors in adult entertainment in what many of us might call mainstream porn. In all honesty, it's not something I watch a lot, but I am intrigued by the mindset of these women and how they can manage their lives off the set. The two women we will talk to over these two shows are both extremely intelligent. One is a former political aide on Capitol Hill. The other has formed a business based on their work. In both cases, they enjoy what they do both on and off the screen, and it was fascinating to talk to them. Our first interview is with starlet Jamie Jett. At just 21 years old, she burst onto the scene in the most unlikely of ways. As an accomplished political science and pre-law major in college, she was in Washington, D.C., assisting in making policy by day and by night, enjoying the kink scene in the nation's capital. Saying that her personality was one that was perfect for the screen, Jamie took a turn into the stages of adult entertainment, where she is currently nominated for Starlet of the Year at the 2021 Inc. Awards and for Porn Star Live Cam Performer of the Year at the 2021 Cami Awards. The self-professed rock and roll babe, whose name was inspired by her singer hero, has a great reputation when it comes to the business, and as you'll discover in this interview, rocks a lot more than just a pretty face and body. Jamie Jett takes the stage on this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. Time now for the first five with Jamie Jett. First rock and roll band or singer you fell in love with? Oh, well, that's an easy question. Um, Joan Jett uh, of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and of the Runaways was stole my heart very early on. And um was the inspiration for my stage name. Uh, Jamie Jett was as close as I could get to Joan Jett without, you know, <laughs> taking her identity. <laughs> so what drew you to Joan Jett? Well, she's a very famously 
uh, not heterosexual uh, rock and roll artist. And uh, I was a bisexual punk rocker and madly in love with her and her music rocks and it's sexy and hot. And there's some kink themes and all together, she's just an incredibly compelling performer. Yeah. First time you ever got in a political debate and what was it about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, uh, let's see, I will forever stand in the soapbox in favor of the decriminalization of drugs, at least the, uh, you know, the more mild ones mm -hmm. uh, in favor of, you know, civil liberties and personal autonomy. Uh, and that was a big point of contention in college uh, with uh, some more, you know, more moderate traditionalists. So <laughs> that's always been a, a big, big sticking point for me. First time you ever walked on a film set and the emotions going through your body. First time I ever walked on a film set was last October. Uh, it was actually the first time I'd ever been on camera and it was for a porn set called Tiny 4K. Uh, and it was thrilling and terrifying. And I thought, you know, as a very experienced exhibitionist that a camera wouldn't be, you know, different from a hundred strangers, but turns out it is. <laughs> first time you ever had sex. First time I ever had sex. Uh, well, I was in a church and it was Christmas Eve. Um, and I was in the balcony above the concert with my flute duet partner packing up our instruments after a um, performance of traditional Christmas carols. And, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, my first having sex was technically in a room with 200 people, including uh, the preacher. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Was it a large flute? <laughs> 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 And the traditional last question of the first five, first time you ever received an unsolicited dick pic and your reaction to it. Ooh, uh, I think every day on Instagram, I get another wave of them. Uh, it's hard to remember the very first one. I think the all of my first dick pics were very much solicited. I, I am a fan of the dick pic, which is I know controversial in this. <laughs> in this day and age and on this podcast. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, if it is solicited, it's just one of those things that actually inspired the podcast was all my friends, especially lady friends saying, why is it that guys think that's a good introduction or a good first impression? That's for sure. You know, it's really, it's really people, the art of how a dick pic is taken that really is the, uh, the question it's people make the mistake of taking a just a dick pic and there is no picture of just genitalia that will be appealing you got to get you got to get some personality in there you got to get some tattoos and some face and you know, it's about the whole package <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hi there, listeners. I wanted to take a moment to ask you to support the show. And I'm not talking about doing it with your dollars. 
I made a conscious decision to shut down my Patreon because the work I was putting into that was taking away from the actual show. I want to publicly thank Venus and Tanya for supporting me through that platform. Secondly, I don't charge for ad spots in the show. The messages you hear are from friends of the show and former guests who have given the time in order for them to promote their good work. I'm not asking for any awards for being a good guy, but I am asking to hear from you. I've taped nearly 60 episodes of the show and will have up to 75 in the first season. And I want to hear from you and what this show has brought you. I want to hear what guests you want me to have on. I want to hear topics you want to hear about. Please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a couple of minutes. Tweet or gram about the show and let people know what you think. On Twitter, we're at WhatWomenWantP1. And on Instagram, we're at WhatWomenWantPodcast. You can send me a personal note on FetLife at Hi There, Catsuit. Or send me an email at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. I'm putting my thoughts into season two and what I want to do. And it would help me a lot to know that we are indeed doing good work here. And that it means something to you. Like I said, not asking for your money. But I am asking for something. And I do appreciate you, the listeners and our supporters, more than you'll ever know. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Here again is our host, John, or as we know him, hi there, catsuit. I want to talk about connections with the rock show babe and future lawyer for hedonists, Jamie Jett. What is the best way for a regular person to get your attention in a positive way? Yeah, um, I, my favorite ways to meet people are either political debate or at the bar at a rock show. Uh, So striking up a political debate with me at the bar at a rock show is really the, would really be the way to do it. (laughs) And that seems kind of funny because in this day and age, sometimes a political debate can be the first thing to end a relationship, let alone begin one. Certainly, absolutely, yes. (laughs) What is it about politics that just makes you so happy? I have always been very attracted to the philosophy of libertine hedonism. And I would say that I don't, so I have very strong opinions about the pursuit of benevolent pleasure. uh, And our society, and particularly our country, is built on a real legacy of some, you know, very puritanical values. Uh, and I think that we have a lot of work to do in correcting them. Um, and so being part of the movement to um, make our country a little bit more of a hedonistic libertine place. <laughs> I'd love to be part of that. And in this day and age, it's very difficult to do so, especially in this past year where we have had yet another wave of people wanting to silence sex positive people and sex workers on social media when other things uh, like hate speech and and sometimes violence 
perfectly fine to put on social media. It's a very serious issue of censorship um, and a real freedom of speech issue, in my opinion. Um, you know, ever since FOSTA SESTA, which I'm sure, should I summarize that or is for our listeners who don't know about it, please do. Uh, yes. Yeah, so in 2017, Congress passed a law essentially making web platforms liable for um, any sort of sex work related speech that happens on their websites, um, which unfortunately has had the wave of uh, the uh, cascading result of website hosts choosing to shut down all sexual speech rather than just crack down on sex work. Um, and of course, I believe that we should be free to advertise sex work wherever we so choose, um, but it went, the effects of that have gone much, much farther than the law originally intended. And it's had a really chilling effect on sexual liberty and freedom of sexual speech and expression. Um, and queer spaces and queer community platforms have really felt the impacts significantly as well as, uh, you know, safety networks for sex workers being completely decimated. Um, and it's had a real body count actually. Um, I've always been amazed at the fact that hiding sex from people seems to be the thing that makes people perhaps have the wrong idea about what sex is all about or the possibilities of sex. I mean, the way the BDSM community is uh, seen within uh, just even mainstream uh, media until Fifty Shades of Grey came out, which is an awful representation of what BDSM is, people were like, well, that's just, that's just, oh, well, I'm reading this and this is actually pretty interesting. And then just regular, good old one-to-one -one relationships are all based on eventually sex being a part of it. Why are we so scared to talk about it? Well, I think that, you know, it, in our country, particularly the, the legacy of Puritanism and just some very culturally conservative attitudes around sex are, are really one of the reasons that Americans have so much trouble with it. Um, I think uh, across all of the communities I've existed in, in the United States, I think the BDSM community is the one that has has it the more figured out than anyone, including um, I'm now in the adult film world and I have been shocked at how much better the kinksters in San Francisco were at navigating um, sexual communication and healthy sexual behaviors than vanilla people, married adults, um, just you know people in the hookup culture in our country. Uh, and even more so than like professional pornographers. Uh, I think that you know the people who have figured out how to navigate shibari and lighting each other on fire uh that anyone who's doing that has it a lot better figured out than uh anyone else in our country um we should really be taking lessons from the bdsm consent culture and you know communication and you know the i know that the um the idea of a bdsm contract with um you know the lists of yeses and nos and do you like butt plugs yes or no and is this a hard limit or a soft limit um that shows up in 50 shades of gray and a lot of you know even the just the cheesy representations of bdsm in our culture i think that if we took that idea to pornography and vanilla relationships and tinder i think the world would be a lot better place yeah 
I have argued that, especially with social media, if you added consent to it, meaning I am 18 years old and I consent to look at this, that if you were to create some sort of filter or whatever on a picture where you could consent to looking at it, what's the harm in that? I like that. I really like that suggestion. I think that would solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing crop up. But maybe it's too difficult for the engineers to figure out a way to do it properly, or they're too busy no, looking at the awesome. pictures. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that's a really interesting solution. I've never heard that one before. And I think that I think we should run with that. <laughs> well, I, I, I vote you my campaign manager for that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, John for Congress. There we go. <laughs> Yay, that'll work. Well, but they'd find lots of skeletons in this closet, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, we were talking about how people approach you. And one of the things that I did read was that COVID uh, actually stop something that you were looking forward to, which was a very large orgy that you were going to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, just tell me about that. And then I have some follow-up questions. So prior to uh, professional pornography, um, I was throughout college, I was very involved in the play party and kink scene in San Francisco. Um, I've never met so many fascinating, joyful people with uh, amazing backstories and who are very good in bed uh, as I have uh, in the you know the orgy scene um, in that city and so I was very involved in organizing um, come early 2020 I had reached the point that I was ready to set up my own orgy and I had a deposit down on some really beautiful cabins up in northern California in the middle of the forest um, and I was thinking uh, the setup for this orgy would be about a hundred people, um, with the different theme cabins. So, you know, you have your bondage cabin and you have your, you know, cuddle party cabin and you have your, I don't know, puppy play cabin. Um, and it was just, I, I was looking forward to that, uh, intensely. <laughs> so when it became apparent that we were not going to be able to have orgies, uh, in the summer of 2020, when I had my deposit down for, I asked myself the question of what I could possibly do that would be that exciting. Um, and that's how I got into porn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was the connection to get you into the porn business? It was really self, um, self I was, I'd been considering it. Um, you know, I'd been really missing sexual communities and mm -hmm. The sexual energy from you know the poly community and the kink community um and come you know a certain point in quarantine the adrenaline junkie in my heart was really ready to go find a safe way to engage in sexual spaces again and on covid tested porn sets they've you know they've been filming in um covid safe ways for the past mm -hmm. year so or for the past year um yeah. So I sent nudes to the agency that represented some of my favorite performers and they called me back and I'm incredibly grateful. It was, a, it was a move that I will be glad that I took for the rest of my life. Hi, my name is Leanne and I am the owner of Polyphilia, where you can get your daily fix of memes dedicated to polyamory, ethical non-monogamy and personal growth in open relationships. You can find me on Facebook, 
Instagram and Twitter at polypheliablog, spelt P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. I hope to see you there, and please also check out my episode on what women and other wonderful humans want. Hello, I'm Jesse Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. It is simply the most powerful episode we've ever done. When when I had the death of the ego and I really, well, I walked away from what a, being a kink educator or a dominatrix means to my ego or what being a singer um, or someone who booked educators or cover bands for so many years, what does that say about me? That's just things I've done. It's not who I am, you know, and the important thing is that we help others and that we be of service. So if someone's listening to this show and they're feeling maybe badly about a job they have or a direction they've taken, there's no mistakes. The artist formerly known as Hutsey Hahn, Hutsey Brook, June 8th, on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. We started this podcast talking about the way people connect with each other. So here is the kind of follow-up I have to the orgy question, and then also to the porn industry question. In order to have intimacy, you have to have connection. So let's start with the orgy side of things first in a traditional orgy. How do people connect with each other so they feel not only the passion of pure sex, but also feel the need to do it with particular people? Mm, That's a very interesting question. Mm. So I will, I'm going to answer that in a roundabout way, which is that uh, I've actually done, I've, you know, participated in the traditional recreational orgy. uh, And then I've also participated in unscripted, uh, professional orgies for film. So I did a I did an orgy for for porn, um, and the juxtaposition between those two environments um, is really interesting because a lot of what happens in a traditional orgy is the um, you know particularly in the kink scene where people are so valuing of you know consent and boundary discussions, and you enter a space and then it's a lot of um, so it's a lot of flirting, it's a lot of introduction, it's a lot of, hi, you're beautiful, I saw you across the room, uh, I would love to fuck you. Um, and it's it's the whole dance, it's the whole courtship process in a very condensed speed dating sort of a way. Um, uh, and the interesting thing is I had an orgy for a porn site that didn't script it, so it put you know 14 people on a couple of king size mattresses in a really beautiful art gallery in LA and just said, all right, go. Um, And because everyone was in such a pre-negotiated consent space um, and because there were no, you know, there was, there was no pressure to, you know, 
perform any specific sexual acts and people could really just flow as they would. Uh, I think that the professional orgy with the prior negotiated consent of everyone being there to shoot porn together um, was actually one of the most enthusiastic uh, and uh, joyous, mm -hmm. <laughs> very rambunctious uh, sexual environments I've ever been in. Is there a true connection that comes with that? Because you say 14 people here and I'm not being judgmental, I'm trying to understand how this all works. When you have that many people there, men and women, and if there were gender neutral people there, of course that adds something to it as well. Is there something that brings two people together to do something and then allows you to have a connection with another person? I'm trying to think of how to quantify what particular spark makes two people meet in the middle on the two king size beds? Mm -hmm. um, I, I it's hard it's hard to do that without you know relying on vague uh, terminology like chemistry or energy are mm -hmm. <laughs> not things that I like to uh, uh, I think they're oversimplifications. Um, mm -hmm. I really think that eye contact is the, the biggest sign in an orgy. Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely my go-to in any sexual space and mm -hmm. raves even. Um, I think people's, how attraction works for people is very different. Uh, I am a very instantaneous attraction sort of a person. So I typically, you know, when I walk into an orgy or on a porn set, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, walk in and immediately try to have as much, you know, eye contact and proximity to the people that I'm most attracted mm -hmm. to. That is typically the best way to do it as far as I'm, my experience. But that's beautiful. The mm -hmm. eye contact. I mean, you have beautiful eyes and I hope you will accept that compliment. I didn't ask your consent to give you a compliment, but I did <laughs> and I hope that was okay. But the fact is that is a connection just simply looking at somebody because it enables you to form a connection. And I think a lot of people when they may watch porn, and I'm not much of a mainstream porn person, honestly, I'm, I've always been more of the fetish, uh, the fetish kind. But it seems to me that some people may have the misrepresentation of, well, these people just want to do it with anybody that's there. But the fact is, and that's what a lot of porn scenes can come off as. But the fact is, you who are actually doing it are experiencing something that is pretty darn cool and is doing something for you as well. Oh, yeah. Now, um, uh, it's hard to paint all uh, pornography with a broad brush. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am not someone who consumes a lot of mainstream pornography myself um, because I'm, you know, more of the fetish kink scene. And also mm -hmm. because I had that same opinion, I was like, oh, people having sex, you know, in a room as sex workers, like putting on a performance. Um, I have been shocked at how much genuine human connection and good sex happens on porn sets. Mm. Yeah. Can you give me an example of, of something that just surprise the heck out of you of how great it was? Yes. Um, oh, where to start? Um, I mean, you know, I just shot a scene this weekend per se, you know, totally vanilla scene. Um, 
you know, silly plot, one of those very traditional cheesy porn plots with uh, this one involved some laser tag uh, and <laughs> running around a house and um it, which was fun uh and you know i think i think the eye contact was really you can you can really boil it down to that if you can be filming highly scripted porn with someone and look them in the eye the whole time and be having a good time and laughing and giggling mm -hmm. and eye contact and the capacity to laugh while having sex with people are the two biggest big green flags and um indicators of you know fireworks and good human connection and just amazing like roly uh, active sex mm -hmm. <laughs> but the more fun you are having and we i'm not talking about funny but the more fun you are having, the better it goes, that energy goes out to the audience anyway. I completely agree. I also think that I'm a big subscriber too, that you should not be in bed with anyone that you can't laugh with. Uh, and so I try to cultivate that playfulness um, as much as I can in you know professional sex for film. Uh, and it, as well as real life, and I really think that's an energy that people should, people should embrace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. How did you, because I know you were in DC for a while. Yeah. Tell me what that experience was like for you and how it may have shaped your thoughts on what you do now. Yes. Um, so I have not touched on my uh, more traditionally professional background yet. Um, but I recently graduated a little bit early uh, with a degree in political science. Um, and prior to professional pornography, uh, all of my engagement with, you know, alternative sex communities was very much like a recreational thing. I was very much living, you know, the double life of uh, the very ambitious professional like white collar intern uh, and college student. Um, and I would be, you know, when I was in DC, for example, and I was interning uh, on Capitol Hill uh, professionally, I'd be, you know, walking around in a pantsuit and in my in my bag, I would have, you know, the dominatrix boots I was gonna put on to go to a party later that night. Um, so I was really living kind of a pretty intense duality. My ideals around, you know, sex positivity in our culture and decreasing the censorship of sex um, and increasing people's sexual liberties and freedoms, um, those ideals and what effectively happens through the really traditional legislative process are, there's a huge disparity there. So I have lofty you know, I, ideas about what I would like to fix in our country and I was, young and ambitious and walking around DC watching thousands and thousands and thousands of other young idealistic people slave away in an office from nine to five every day working on progressive legislation that you know will, would never get passed um, ever and would never go anywhere uh, and just reached a point of disillusionment with that where I was like, I could I could work here my entire life and I will never get FOSTA SESTA repealed. Mm. I will never, I could, I could work in DC and wake up every morning and work incredibly hard every single day 
from the day that I graduated from college to you know, 45 and I will never make progress on anything um, mm-hmm. just because of you know the gridlock in our country and um, everything I've ever studied in my political science degree indicates that even even the tiniest incremental change is a monumental task let alone something like the decriminalization of sex work which is I think my you know biggest the, the cause that I want to work for most um, in our society uh, that getting progress on that is not something that will happen well through traditional channels. Um, and at that point I was like, well, I'm, I'm not happy uh, in an office all day long. And I also, all I wanna be doing is going to these orgies that I do on the weekends. So what if I went and did professional legal sex work through film uh, and then returned to law school and then became you know, a lawyer and an advocate for sex workers as someone who has sex work experience. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the new plan. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, I can actually see, and maybe this is my own fantasy world. Maybe this is my own Pollyanna view of the world and believing that people will eventually figure out common sense. Let's move 30 years forward when Jamie Jett or whatever name you are going by at that time decides that it doesn't matter that I was a porn star. It doesn't matter that I have all these so-called skeletons in my closet. Maybe it's time to run on what I believe in. Do you think that 30 years from now, especially with all the strides strides we've made in gender identity, in the acceptance of LGBTQIA+, in the acceptance of many things that nobody would have ever imagined 30 years ago when I was in my 20s, do you think there's a possibility that you could run for something and say, my past be damned. I really believe in what I do. I, I mean, I definitely entertain the fantasy. I think, you know, if, if, a, if an actor like, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger can be California governor, I don't see any reason why an adult actor can't. <laughs> uh, and I would love to, I would love to reach that point in 30 years. Um, I've heard uh, Dan Savage, uh, who runs a sex and advice podcast that I have listened to like like it's a Bible um, <laughs> uh, for a decade, a decade mm-hmm. of my life, um, has made the point that 20 years down the line, it will be impossible to have a presidential candidate who does not have nudes on the internet because the only people who won't have taken nudes at some point in their teenage to you know late you know eight, 18 to 25 period of their life uh, will be you know devout Mormons so uh, we better start normalizing <laughs> it or we're not going to have anyone to run for office except for you know the uh, devout moderates so <laughs> I just wanted to put that in your mind because I just thought it was a, an interesting vision there it's certainly a certainly a personal fantasy um I think I I 
the idea of running for office uh, for I, I, for any anyone who has worked in DC has certainly entertained that, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd rather be on a porn set. <laughs> Cooler outfits. What is the difference between the character Jamie Jett and the person that is just you? Yeah. Um, well, Jamie, uh, as as my role, um, is certainly a much more vanilla person uh, than I am. You know, when I'm when I'm not at work, uh, it's funny uh, to be playing the you know girl next door, um, like safe, happy, intellectual when <laughs> you know. Uh, I have a closet full of fishnets and boots and uh, leather jackets and books on terrible, terrible, awful things. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That is not an answer I've had before, which I think (laughs) is really cool. Have you considered doing fetish work or would you like to? Um, I've considered it. Uh, I'm not someone who... I am not someone who could ever be a pro-dom, uh, which I think is the most the most common form of fetish mm-hmm. work, uh, because that is not that is not typically the role that I occupy within the kink scene. I'm more of the uh, submissive switch uh, type when my mm-hmm. when I'm doing you know orgies. Um, I also think that you know kink is kink is something that I don't want to professionalize because I okay. want it, I always want it to be play for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, but I get I, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be, this will be the one time that I just kind of go fanboy on on this particular side of things. But I've had Kendra James and Christina Carter and Nisa Nevers on the show, and the work that they've done has been amazing. And I could just see you being in Los Angeles, heading over to Jim Weather's house, going, "Okay, tie me up. I'll enjoy this." <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs> Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Jamie, one of the things that I've noticed is you... Love things like Legally Blonde, which is your favorite movie. Yes. You talked in an interview once that you really love Don Draper in the Mad Men world. Yes. And you love Joan Jett. Mm-hmm. How is a 20, <laughs> barely 20-something person have such an old soul? <laughs> I've lived a lot of lives. <laughs> So tell me, um, tell me about that. Who was, who was Jamie before Jamie? Uh, well, I think that the, uh, let's see, you, if we're looking at the, the L Woods and the Don Draper uh, archetypes, I think I have been, I have been double dipping on the types of person that you can be at once for a while. Um, you know, even when I was, yeah, the suit wearing congressional intern I was mm-hmm. you know you know by night I was running around goth orgies and just you know 
piling piling these things on top of one another and i think the accumulation of the accumulation of different modes of life uh mm -hmm. you know i think it adds up to probably more than 22 years so <laughs> when you're in washington with those dominatrix boots in your bag as you walked out of the capitol when you got to one of those play parties was there ever a situation where you looked across the room and went I know you. I'm not going to say I know you, but I know you. Mm, yes, yes, it happened. <laughs> it happened a couple of times. <laughs> um, not so much. This is not necessarily my story to tell, uh, but I was when I was in the play party in fetish community in DC, which is very underground. It's not like San Francisco. Um, mm -hmm. You have to really dig for it. It's you gotta go. You gotta go through many layers of uh, fet life to find where the kick parties are in DC, <laughs> um, as opposed to you know just googling it. Um, but uh, I definitely knew people through that scene who were alternative models or doing a little bit of sex work in DC. And oh boy, the hypocrisy of the people who hire sex workers in DC, but then go and vote against. Uh, you know, against sex workers' interests, like the people who voted to pass FOSTA-SESTA and will never, ever, ever support any bill that um, defends people's sexual liberties are the same people who are hiring sex workers for themselves, which is just, uh, indicative of the system in which we live, I suppose. So if there is somebody who, let's say, is 18 or 19 and has just moved to Los Angeles, and happens to be in a coffee shop with you and knows who you are and she comes up into you and says jamie how do you do it what would your answer be to her <laughs> oh man i think the refusal to ever deny someone to deny yourself something because it is something that you shouldn't be doing for any arbitrary reason. I think taking a really consequentialist view of your own life and of your own morality and never saying, you know, no, I can't have a foursome with these beautiful men in a gay porn studio or, you know, or, or no, I can't, you know, go have sex in a church or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think I, I, I personally have a very, uh, I have adopted a very, you know, hedonistic philosophy when it comes to everything that I've done in my life and just, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, fuck it to um, the traditional, traditional rules. <laughs> I would find that you probably are a person that knows when to say no, and that's what has given you the ability to do all the things that allow you to say yes. Yes, I think that as well. Um, that's definitely an aspect. I think um, this is one of the reasons that I love the Elle Woods model, the character from Legally Blonde, um, who, you know, the whole thesis of that movie is she's a hyper-feminine woman in a very, you know, traditionally masculine intellectual space and, you know, because, go, progresses from being you know, underestimated to top of her class, um, and, you know, defies all expectations. And it's really about how, you know, the representation of hyper femininity can be 
a point of power rather than a weakness. Um, and I think that there are many versions of that. And I think that the reason why I like her archetype so much is because you could you can take the same tact with anything. You can be, you know, like a hypersexual like sex worker and go to law school and mm-hmm. um, and have that be, you know, a, a power in, you know, certainly if you can if you can perform naked on a porn set, you can perform in a courtroom like that's a it's easier if anything that's a helpful talent and i think um that sort of belief in the capacity of non-traditional experience to be a benefit rather than a weakness is the confidence to be in front of people allow you to have the confidence to be intimate on a set well i think that 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 specific type of confidence uh is very self-serving <laughs> in a lot mm. of ways because i am uh, when it comes to the confidence to be on set i think that's really just a very strong exhibitionistic streak um <laughs> but uh i really think that it will be very difficult after what i hope is several very good years in the porn industry um i think it'll be very hard to ever have trouble with public speaking again, for instance. Because of what, of course, do they say to new people who are public speakers? They always tell them to pick, picture their <laughs> audience. Naked, yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, that's funny. <laughs> I realize this is not Off the Cuffs, which is one of my favorite podcasts and one of the inspirations for this podcast, but I'm not going to ask it like they do, but what was it that got you into the kink part of yourself? Oh, um, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people who are kinky talk about, you know, fascination with power dynamics in a lot of different contexts. Um, and I remember I, my entire life just had like, you know, one of my favorite movies has always been, there's a very, traditional like live action Robin Hood from Britain. Uh, you know, those- it's, The Carrie like, Always one? I think so. It's on VHS. I had it on VHS and I watched it, you know, every every day for a very, mm-hmm. very long time. Uh, and there's a scene in that movie where the, you know, femme fatale archetype of um, uh, the love interest is you know, tied up and thrown in an attic. Uh, and for some reason, that scene just, I was just fascinated by it. Um, and, you know, even just in a, you know, it was just in a, that's a, that's a very, very inter- interesting thing to get fixated on. And I think when I learned, you know, uh, as I grew to be an adult uh, about bondage, I was like, oh, interesting. I, that, that's a, just, it just sparks, sparks in your mind. Um, and I've pursued it. Uh, at this point, I just, uh, I really value uh, the shock factor in kink. I really like something new. You know, I've been in, in the kink scene for a while and I've, you know, I've been to a lot of bondage parties, I've done a lot of shibari, and I've really discovered that it, it is the, the shock of something that you've never done before and had never thought of doing before that really is what catches it for me. Uh, like I've been consensually lit on fire and kidnapped and done some just bizarre, strange things because it's, it's that shock. That's what really gets it for me. And for people who don't know that there is such a thing called fire play and it is yes. done with certain 
chemicals that allow you to be lit on fire. It's not like somebody's taking a match and throwing lighter fluid on somebody in case somebody's <laughs> going, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, it's also a really beautiful kink. Uh, I've, I asked people when I first got into porn, I was like, why is there not more fire play porn? And they were like, well, because the insurance in California on a fire scene where you're lighting someone on fire outdoors is, you know, then you get, you get health insurance questions to ask and you got wildfire insurance questions to ask. And there's many good reasons why it's not done more often than it is, but <laughs> it's a really beautiful and unique art. And it's a amazing, it's an amazing one to watch. <laughs> Describe to me the first time you were ever put in a suspension. Tell me I, the way it, tell me what it felt like to get the rope put on you. And then once you were there. You know, you actually have struck on one of the few things that I have not done. The, the suspension, bond, true suspension bondage is not, is not one that I have, I have done yet. I've, and I've walked up to the line many times and never crossed it. So <laughs> Yeah, I would. It's on the list, though. That's one of the few bucket list things that I haven't haven't done yet in the King Yeah. So, if you were to have a bondage fantasy that you haven't done but have always wanted to do, what would it be? Um, this is not bondage, but I think sex in the Oval Office is definitely on my King <laughs> <laughs> That's, that one might be unrealizable given that I, none of its recent or current occupants are attractive, but you know. <laughs> Hail yeah. to the chief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do know that you have a story of when you were put in bondage once and the table didn't fare so well. I broke a bondage set. I broke a bondage set on a porn set, actually. Ah. I, my, this is, this was really a, um, one of the uh, symptoms that I think is indicative of the fact that I am from a different background than most people who do porn. Um, uh, they put me in a, you know, a, a bondage, um, like a spreading. Mm -hmm. uh, like sports sheet straps or something like that? Yeah, I was like, I was strapped to a piece of very large furniture and the straps on it they were like all right you like wriggle around like this is a bondage scene and I was you know squirming as I would in a typical bondage kink arrangement and I instantly just snapped the I, I just it just snapped the restraints and damaged the furniture uh, and it was just uh, yeah. <laughs> talk just about striking go. a set <laughs> yeah I was like uh, clearly this was not the people who uh, wrote this scene were not um, experienced bondage artists. <laughs> so, yeah. in talking with Kaska Ashkova, uh, who I who will be on this show on Friday, uh, thanks to your lovely PR person who helped set up both these interviews, and I wanted to put you two together because I thought it would make for an interesting week of shows. Yeah. We talked a bit about the fact that the adult entertainment industry is very male driven. You are a driven female. Yes. What difference do you think it would be if adult entertainment was run by women instead of men? 
I have, a, I have many thoughts on this. Uh, I think that there are a lot of things about porn styling and characterization that are very indicative of um, like a very specific male fantasy. I mean, particularly the what I've acted in. Um, that there's a very there's a very limited range of characters that uh, women play in porn, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that the fix there's there's this fixed girl next door who always dresses like she's in 2001. Uh, and then there's the, you know, the stepdaughter and there's just, that's just such a limited, that's just such a limited range of scenarios and characters. Um, I really think that bringing more women uh, into writing roles, you would get some sexier dialogue and also just a more diverse a range of situations and dynamics. I think that one of the biggest weaknesses in porn um, is that we so rarely see scenes that I think are, you know, akin to what we, when we watch like a Hollywood movie and there can be incredibly sexy scenes where, you know, nothing is taken off, but it's like, you know, it's a bar flirting scene or it's, you know, Margot Robbie and, um, uh, you know, some male actor, you know, talking over a table and there's eye fucking each other and, and they're on a date and there's pursuit and characterization and good dialogue and everyone's beautiful. I think that porn needs more of that. Like we need more porn that's shot like in a bar when people are on a date and they know they're going to fuck and uh, like that plot and, you know, people who are madly in love you know i just think we need more we need more plots <laughs> porn needs more plots and i think women would be good at writing those i think it goes back to a point we've brought up on this show many times before and that is i go to the example of what the difference between male and female improvisers that i have discovered and that is male improvisers for the most part will get a suggestion or a problem and they will head in a straight line towards the solution. That's your scene, problem to solution. Women will get that same suggestion and if they were to play the exact same scene, they would get the problem and their first step would be, oh, there's this whole world around us. And there's a beautiful vase over there with the prettiest flower that reminds me of someone who I loved a long time ago and wish I could be with. And oh, that picture over there, that reminds me of a beautiful day. And suddenly there's this entire world that you have instead of this straight line. Maybe when it comes to porn, men want to see problem solution and women want to see this great world that's made around but maybe all the guys want is the solution that would certainly speak to i think the timeline in which biological men versus biological biological women get off Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I, I think that's a really interesting, really interesting way to look at it. Um, 
Do you think if men understood more about the women's orgasm and what that could bring to them, and I've said on the show a lot, I'm fascinated by the female orgasm. I love the beauty and I realize that sometimes I've seen it when it's been portrayed, but I love the buildup and the beauty of a woman finally reaching that destination. And when they, the destination gets there, there's still a journey to go on. It's not as though we reach the end of the de destination, have a nice day. It's they reach that destination and suddenly the world opens up. That's always been fascinating to me. So do you think that, and I'm not exactly sure where I'm going here, but <laughs> the vision that you had about women wanting more dialogue is because there is this, there's a whole other world other than just the amount of time where uh, tab A goes into slot B. I think so. So what I really want, um, and far be it for me to speak for all women's sex sexuality, because uh, mm -hmm. I think there are, there are a lot of different, you know, a lot of different forms of erotic mm -hmm. material. I think that we have gonzo porn, which is just tab A and just into slot B. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the very cheesy, the, the pizza man and the pool boy and those <laughs> those scenes what we don't have mau mau. yeah that yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh what i would like is uh porn that is integrated with characters that we care about like i would love to see like a wolf of what like this is this is a total fantasy because this is not how porn is shot nor how mm -hmm. you know mainstream hollywood works but i would love to see porn that exists within the universe of like tv shows and movies where it's just like it's graphic hardcore porn but it's with you know the actor that plays your favorite character and their love interest on the show and then you get like hardcore graphic porn but with some investment and plot that makes it sexier uh i, I think that that is a fantasy that i have for the entertainment industry that is unrealizable given that i don't know if uh most of our hollywood actors want to be doing what i do but <laughs> What is your favorite part of your 80%? What is your favorite part of real life? The things that you enjoy doing that people might be surprised that Jamie Jett would be so into? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit weird. Uh, for me, it's a more of a 50%. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I spend a lot of, spend a lot of time, a lot of my hobbies and pursuits. Uh, and now my job revolve around quite a lot of sexual energy so, that's nice. and and have since way before porn i that's a it's a very big part of my life which is why i i, I think why i'm so comfortable doing it uh but uh i i'm also a big chess nerd i like utopian fiction and i play a lot of chess <laughs> and i have since far before queen's gambit so mm -hmm. people were like oh you just started playing because of that show no no, I've been in chess club for a long time. So yeah, I'm a big nerd on the uh, on the external. Utopian fiction. Yes. That's very specific. Yes. It's very interesting. What are amongst your favorite works of that fiction? 
Yeah, uh, I am an idealist and I have, you know, all these big ideas about hedonism and building a better society than the one that we have. And consistent with that, uh, I love more than anything else in the world um, a literature that really paints different versions of that, even when it doesn't, you know, align perfectly with all of my values and wants. I think that reading people's constructions of what a better world than ours is would be. Um, and uh, there's one uh, called Ecotopia that I have read about a hundred times and it's, this one's, this, I don't, I don't agree with all of the politics in the novel. Uh, and I'm just gonna throw that out there in case anyone's familiar with it. Cause there's some, it's a, it's an imp it's a flaw, it's a flawed work. Um, but uh, it talks about uh, California, Northern California and Oregon splitting off from the rest of the continental United States and building, you know, a very uh, progressive, eco-friendly uh, world and it's beautiful. And there's a lot of, one of my favorite aspects of the book, uh, which is really resonates with, which is something that really resonates with my ideals um, is there's a lot of very like free flowing sex and a lot of polyamory in like very healthy, incredible ways. And it was one of the first like works that I ever read that had polyamory represented. Mm. And I, so it's just, that's why I love the utopian fiction so much. It's because it's, you know, it sparks, sparks things like that. It's like, yeah, maybe I, I could, you know, maybe I can't fix our whole world, but I can at least be poly. So. That's awesome. Please tell us where we can find you and whatever you'd like to promote. I want to give you the floor to be able to do that. Yes. Uh, so I, Twitter is the best place to find me because Twitter is the platform with the least amount of censorship. Uh, so I am on Twitter at Jamie Jet XXX and Jet has two T's. So J-A-M-I-E-J-E-T-T-X-X-X. -X -X. Uh, and then I am also on OnlyFans at OnlyFans.com slash Jamie Jet, also with two T's. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at Jamie Jet Official, but Instagram likes to censor me. So uh, mm -hmm. that's not the best place to interact with me. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, come find me. <laughs> Jamie, it has been absolutely fascinating speaking with you. And uh, I hope to do it again sometime because you are indeed a very interesting human being. And I've enjoyed speaking with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me on the show, John. Appreciate it. Jamie is such a lovely person to talk to. I love that she's able to bring forth such intelligence and has a great sense of kink. And hey, you fetish producers, Jamie wouldn't mind hearing from you, especially you, Jim Weathers. On Friday, we meet Kaska Akashova, who was nominated for Most Spectacular Boobs and Hottest Milf, but as you'll find out, has a great relationship with the boundaries between her character and real life. That's coming up on Friday. Next Tuesday, it's writer, podcaster, sex educator, and kinkster. It's Rain de Grey. You'll really enjoy getting to know her on this very frank and honest conversation. It was one of my favorites, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. I'm John, sometimes known as Hi There Catsuit. Thank you so much for being with us on this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And as always, remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always.
What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. We're kinky done differently.